This is Larry Zerner, Shelley from Friday 13th Part 3. You're on Nightmare Junkhead. Hey, genius, fuck you too. out of your consciousness like a bad dream you can't wake from this is the nightmare junkhead podcast a horror podcast that would make for a great campfire tale my name is greg d i'm genius mcgee and on today's episode we're teasing up our hair and getting grody to the max as we delve into the mouth of march madness and travel back 40 years to talk the horror classics from our 1981 bracket and you don't have to be a camp counselor to listen into our show Simply search for Nightmare Junkhead wherever podcasts are played, hit subscribe, and when we drop our latest episode, it will download directly to your listening device of choice. All up in your big hair hole. <laughs> and if you feel like uh, sending a picture of your side ponytail to us on social media, yes, you can find us on Twitter at Nightmare Junk, on Facebook at Nightmare Junkhead, and of course it is on the Book of Face where we have an events tab which leads to... Shenanigans and future shenanigans. And as this episode is releasing on Monday, March 1st, we're recording these quite in advance. Oh yeah. In fact, technically, it's still 2020. Right, because... You cannot contain the madness in one month alone. You need prep time for the madness. Absolutely. And whatever shenanigans are going on on that day, during that week, we will be posting there. Oh, yeah. But more importantly, on our social media, you can find the bracket. Mm-hmm. Because without the bracket... How are you going to play along? And you want to make sure you're playing along, so make sure you are sending in your completed brackets to us on Twitter and on Facebook. And show your work. Well, well, uh, we'll get to the showing of the work here, but we are here now in the year of 1981, genius. Mm, this is nuts. I'm so ready for madness, dude. I was all of five years old. I was... three. Yes, yes. We were but infant little tiles. Mm-hmm. But yet, Rectus Dominus. I don't think we were a spawn of Satan quite yet, my friend. Not yet. But we were making our way up into there. But the year of 1981, as we talked about in the selection episode, definitely gave us a, a wide variety of films. Lots of flavors. But we're still feeling the effects of the 70s. But I'm really starting to see and hear... Mm-hmm. Smell potentially. Yes. Some of the elements of the 80s making its way into our horror films. You can definitely, like, especially with one of our brackets, you can see the transformation. Oh, completely. Yes. Completely. And that's the one thing I like about uh, March Madness. You can see the overall themes of the year and now what the. And the whole spawning and the changing of the guard when it comes to horror. It's a very fun, like deeper look into it while we're watching cool fucking movies and talking shenanigans. It's really nice to see how horror does evolve throughout the centuries. Yeah. And what we're going to be looking at is we're looking at eight horror classics from 1981 all vying for a spot in the Frightful Four of this year's tournament. Clawing and slashing their way. There's all sorts of stuff going on here. And now here on in the tournament we don't just go, well, um, I think this movie is better and therefore it should move on. We show our work. Uh And by doing so, we would like to think that we are practitioners of a holistic approach Mm -hmm. where we're going to be focusing on elements of the heart and elements of the head. Yep. So the first criteria that we will be looking at is which of the two films is closer to your heart? Closer to the heart. Not five years in, we're getting getting there. there. It's been five years. I would have gotten there by now, but (laughs) I'm gonna start doing closer to the heart. I'm gonna start doing that's that's. I think that's what we should do. It's gonna be. It's gonna be. (laughs) Rush covers. You know what? Buck covers Rush. Mm -hmm. I'm all for that. But we are definitely gonna flowers. We are gonna be looking at the nostalgia feel, the ones that definitely give us more passion and pathos mm-hmm. but then we're going to be looking at the opposite realm of that we got to think logistically on this we have to figure out what is actually a better film and that's when we have our bracket topics which we like to bring then a logical approach so therefore the choices that we're making are basically based on our feelings of that day 
because we do like to say, depending on the day of the week, the hour, the minute, the second, mm-hmm. our choices could be completely different. Especially in this in this round. There there was some good fights. Oh, and the 80, There's some good fights coming up. The 80s and 90s, well, I should say the 70s and 80s, through four years at this point of Into the Mouth of March Madness, have all had the winning films from each tournament. Uh, That's the tournament. true. There is because, and I think that's just because of the legacy of those films. So I'm curious to see how, again, now that we have no 70s at this point, we're into the 80s and we're into the new millennia. Mm-hmm. And we're, see, again, seeing the secular nature of horror. But here, these are films now, 40 years of terror. That's barely older than I am, genius, at this <laughs> <No>. point. <laughs> We've literally grew up with these some of these movies. Oh, some of these films are just so familiar within our DNA, within the show DNA. Mm-hmm. But a few of them were new experiences and watches within this year as well, oh, which yeah. I cannot wait. So let's oh, go yeah. to our very first t- bracket topic here, and we're just going to go top to bottom. And the bracket topic is Scary and Harry. Uh-huh. And... If anything that we talked about in the selection episode in the year of 1981, we got a lot of slashers, but we also got an amazing representation of werewolf films. Oh yeah, it's it's this is the Dante's Peak volcano of horror. Dante's Peak. Ah, ooh, multi-level jokes. Well, we do have Joe Dante's The Howling, uh-huh. going up against John Landis's. An American werewolf in London. Naked men are naked white American men are stealing my balloons. Hold on to those balloons, genius. And which one shall we look at first? Let's do the howling. Let's do the howling. Now, what's <sighs> wonderful is we recently had a chance to host a our one of our Friday night frights here in the month of December. We did a double feature of Joe Dante. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of a wonderful distillation of restrained Dante and then just unleashed. Dante. Madness Dante. Cartoon Dante. And first and foremost, we're huge fans of his work. Oh, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, just a few years ago, we had had Piranha on Into the Mouth of March Madness. Mm -hmm. And it was really funny when we were putting this together, you kind of had this little sheepish grin, and you're like, "Um, hey, Greg, the howling. Yeah, I've seen that. How? I know. I it's, know. It's, I'm not shaming. I am not shaming. I know. I I feel bad. That. I feel bad enough. I feel enough remorse and guilt. <laughs> Damn Catholic upbringing. <laughs> but at the same time, at the same time, you know, I love Dante's work, and like mm-hmm. I can bullshit my way through uh, the Howling. I just mm-hmm. never got around to see it, but that all changed, and I'm so fucking glad I did. Well, and I think we've had some of our most pleasant surprises through some of the first-time viewings in Into the Mouth of March Madness. Mm-hmm. I mean, go back to Martin is definitely the one that's oh, the standout. Yeah. And I was so excited to watch this with you for the first time, because this is one I have seen multiple times. I'm a pretty big fan of the franchise. I think a lot of the films all have their strong points, but this is the one that I remember seeing back in the day and I, and I even remember, I just remember not really getting it because I do think, first and foremost, this is an adult film. This is a very adult film. I mean, you can also dig it as a kid, like, oh, cool, werewolves. Werewolves. And, and werewolves and nudity and all sorts of great stuff, right? <laughs> I mean, it's the howling. It's the whole series. You can mm-hmm. say that, you know? But, and especially with Dante, I wasn't ready for that one because I was expecting buffoonery and well, mad capitness and just chaos with well, werewolves with, with dante I, you do think very looney tunes mm-hmm. i mean that is his sensibility that's his aesthetic and he's very restrained in this yes there are elements of the kind of the the looney tunes dante literally with the cartoons that we do see in dick miller's shop um but it's very restrained it's very adult it's talking about relationships it's um, talking about trauma. It's it's a satire as well. Mm-hmm. It's a Serial number killer mystery. We talk about our love of films that can definitely balance a number of elements. And I do think Dante, even though this is early on in his career, I think this movie is well balanced. Yeah. There are elements that are truly scary. There are elements that I know multiple times for you. You're like, ah, not a deal breaker. No, not at all. Not at all. Multiple times throughout. But he also establishes a lot of the Joe Dante regulars. We've got Dick Miller. Yep. We got Robert Picardo. Robert Picardo. He's fucking scary. Okay, so 
When I think of Robert Ricardo, I think of either like the gruff businessman from Gremlins 2 or like the surly trash man from The Burbs <laughs> or something. He's always in some sort of suit and attire and always gruff and or the doctor from uh, Star Trek. Right. So I'm thinking like in, in the position role, he's got a decent job. Non-threatening. Right. Not fucking peep show Picardo mm. fucking turning into werewolves and threatening like fucking uh, America's mom. Right. Exactly. Like a TV personality. That's like the, who, who does <laughs> Leslie Stahl getting st stalked, wow, right? That's regional. In a peep show on 42nd Street. So first off, it starts yeah. like that. And I'm like, holy shit. Weren't ready for that, were you? Right. No. And then I'm I'm expecting like buffoonery again. And you know what? Here's the thing. Even though I was expecting buffoonery, I also got buffoonery. But mm -hmm. in, in the side characters, yes. this is the Black Christmas of fucking werewolf movies. Because like. There's tomfoolery and shenanigans abound in this movie, but it's all in the in the yep. periphery or the side characters. The main story is a fucking tragic one about dealing with like grief and stalking and like infidelity and lamour and werewolves. I believe it is lycanthropy lamour that we are talking about. I'm in talking the lycanthropy. <laughs> there are. A number of things that, again, that I did not understand as a kid. Even now as an adult, I don't necessarily know if I understand, but oh, I definitely right. appreciate what he was going for because at that time, those health clubs, those retreats where you find your inner animal, if mm -hmm. you will, were legit. And this plays very much as a satire of that, but then it also plays on this idea of modern masculinity and a, it's it's what I love with werewolf films is it can serve as a metaphor for a number of things. But then you add the Rob Bottin effects, which is all about the bladder. Fucking knocked it out of the park with the effects. The effects were fantastic in this one. They were wonderful, but they were. there's a stark contrast between this and the other film, but a lot of the werewolves were hidden in the darkness. Mm -hmm. But what I also like is through the Dick Miller character is he doesn't even call them werewolves. He calls them shapeshifters. And he establishes they don't need a full moon. To no, sh it's whatever they want. There are rules. The only thing that does kill them is silver and and fire. That's and right. Like okay, all right, I'm down with that. I'm down with that. Especially, especially when like uh, <laughs> exposition by Walter Paisley. You know. And guess what? I'm all for it. I'm going to that bookstore. And he's like, yeah. And if you need any guns, I got a twin brother who runs a gun shop over there. Wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be uh, Jimmy Paisley, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, this one, it definitely establishes a lot of the stuff that you'll see in Dante films, be it the characters, the themes, the fun, because there are elements of this movie. Well, no, actually, really, there's not, the a there not a lot of levity except for the character, the yeah. background characters and quips and like a little bit of like foreshadowing when, again, like you said, when whole segments are around Looney Tune cartoons. Yeah. So yeah, I I really I really fucking enjoyed that. The music is rad. The shots are scary. Like again, when Picardo is changing, the scariest fucking huh. thing about when Picardo is changing and the effects was the fact that he's smiling the he, whole time when he changes. He's having fun. Yeah, he is. He's and, digging it. He's digging it. And he seems to almost be getting off on the fact that he is inspiring terror. Mm -hmm. And that's his character throughout. In fact, um, his kind of de-evolution, when he shows up at the very end, oh, when he's all, all gnarly, mangled. All gnarly and shit. You thought you can get rid of me that easy? Like, oh, fucking creep. And also, when he's saying, hey, bright boy, do you remember Kevin Smith's dogma? It's been a minute. So Jason Lee in that movie totally quotes from The Howling because he's going, hey, bright boy, to Kevin Smith when he's getting ready to hit him. And the same thing in that movie. And it took me a long time to finally make that connection. I'm like, holy shit, Kevin Smith loves him some Howling. Or... Jason Lee does. I either or either way I'm cool with. But no, this movie is sweet. Uh Pino Dinaggio does the score and I immediately went online to see if it was available on vinyl out of print and you can find some for like 80 bucks and it's listen. Rad. It's got that old dark gothic feel to it it's, and then it's got some like AM gold. AM gold in it. You won me with AM gold, man. Whenever you can throw some AM gold, I'm down. Except in certain situations, then it's not all right with me. Not at all, not at all. And it should be noted that our werewolves are bipedal. Mm -hmm. They're on two feet. And that is important because there's definitely a distinction when it comes to the werewolf, the classification of a werewolf. Uh, final thoughts then, Genius, on the howling. Again, the whole um, set in the retreat, uh, the werewolf matriarch 
That was, again, not a deal not breaker. Not a deal breaker. The fact that there was all this internal conflict between uh, the two werewolf clans, plus a whole cavalcade of that dude. I'm it, like, oh, that's how he gets paralyzed and winds up in Waxworks. Yes. Yes. It's that guy. Yeah. It, that's what I love with these discoveries. And it would have been something if you had seen it on your own, but I'm glad you were there for that first time viewing. Howling is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Now, let's then switch over to John Landis's an American Werewolf in London, which is a film we've seen multiple times, we've hosted multiple times. I yes. do believe there's that wonderful Alamo screening where Jenny won the poster. Exactly. How do you kill a werewolf with a silver bullet? She fucking chugged it like a champ. <laughs> we'll have to throw the Joe Lynch bumper on this one so you can hear her laughing <laughs> in the background. Uh, but do you remember your initial interaction with an American Werewolf in London? I do. Um, again, I'm about to get the shame bell rung. But the first time I saw the American Werewolf in London, I remember seeing it in like one of those Terror in the Isles or like 50 Best Halloween shit yep. back way back in the day. Right. Yep. <clears throat> and I saw it and I was about 13, 14. And through I kind of fast forward through a big chunks of it when they're doing a lot of talking because mm-hmm. you know at that age i want to see werewolves and zombies and carnage and boobs and all that kind of stuff so and that movie there's did there's, it. they're all there and they're there. all there and it wasn't until i was maybe about like 16 or 17 that i actually sit down and watch the movie and yeah. like this movie is great it's funny the soundtrack is amazing um the werewolf transformations are bar fucking none this is a great movie all around. Period. Yeah. And I do think this is kind of the peak pinnacle platonic ideal that a lot of people have when it comes to a werewolf film. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Rick Baker's Academy Award winning effects on yes. stark display in this one, as we did in The Howling with the transformation in the dark here. They're daring you to look away because it is so bright and much in The Howling, the way Robert Picardo enjoys the transformation Exact opposite. David is, McNaughton in this. No, he is not having fun. He is in pain. It looks painful. We're in pain. It fucking hurts. You're wincing at what he's saying. And he's just sitting there. Oh, my God. It's just. He, at one oof. point, looks into the camera. There are multiple fourth wall breaks in this movie. And every single one of them scare the shit out of me. Yeah. There's that one. There's Meanwhile, blue moon. You saw me standing alone. The contrast in the in the film, the way the music plays to the to everything that you see on the screen is just wonderful. And the film is funny, mm-hmm. but it's also in a very adult werewolf film. Yes. Both of these movies are. I think that you grow to appreciate them. Both offer the titillating content, the werewolves, the blood, all that kind of good stuff. But you can grow to appreciate the themes that they're exploring as you get older. Yeah, which. When I for example, when I first saw the movie, I didn't really know the emotional punch of that um, the telephone booth. Oh, when yeah. his last final call goodbye, that was heartbreaking. This this watching, and the same thing with the while it's done in a funny way, the whole like you know what you got to do, you got to kill yourself, and he goes, I don't want to, and he goes, no. you have to here in this theater. Let me tell you why you have to. And meanwhile, here's all the dead bodies you kill. And they're like, dude, you need to do this so we can move on. Just that whole like, holy shit, that guilt. That whole adds a whole level of pathos and pain to the werewolf mythology. Yeah. That well, you once again, like I didn't appreciate when I was 13 and fast forwarding. So, yeah. No, this movie grows on me every single fucking time I watch it. That's just it. I do find something new with both of these films uh, from the hobo buffet that he goes through, through that terrifying subway scene oh it's great from the way it is shot the first person point of view mm-hmm. to the little bit of the werewolf you get crawling into the frame it's terrifying the nazi werewolves in contrast to the Muppet muppets sh- oh my goodness that when he the Muppet show blitzkrieg yay right and then like <laughs> poof here comes here comes the nazi werewolf the the dream within a dream when he opens his eyes there were just so many terrifying elements, but so many elements that made me laugh. But both of these movies end so bleakly downtrodden. Bleakly. Yes, it is unreal. Both basically have the world learning of the existence of werewolves, although 
with the howling, I love it because they're like, oh, special effects. You can do whatever that now. And, just... and it ends on a Lamar note, like, oh, hey. Oh, hey. See, both movies start in a bar, or was it one starts in a bar and one ends in a bar. bar. Yeah. And either way, I'm cool with, I don't know if I'd be cool with the Slaughtered Lamb, though. Well, that's, that's well, I'm going to give credit to the We Hate Movies podcast. They established it as a werewolf bar. And a werewolf bar, you're going to see a few things, which includes outdated trophies of mm-hmm. some sort of past sporting events, dartboards and a lot of wood paneling and i've been to one of those especially if they have like uh animal trophies yes yes if yeah. you find yourself in one you're a werewolf bar stay on the road exactly. stay away from the moors exactly i can take you one right now but i don't want to i don't want to no are you kidding to. we're in the snow we've seen wolf of snow follow <laughs> exactly <laughs> now listen obviously we could go on and on about these films one more thing about american werewolf yes the fucking rampage in the Piccadilly, uh, Piccadilly Square. Square with the car carnage oh my God. is so fucking good. It's like it's a mean. dark blues brothers. I was just like the whole time I was like Meanwhile, like P- I pray. Meanwhile, people are going through the windshield. Just like I was waiting for it. That's what fucking Manhattan, Jason Hanks Manhattan should have been. It did, yeah. It 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 paid off in the promise. Um also Jenny Agutter. Wonderful. Wonderful. Only one can make it to the next round. So that being said, we're gonna look both in inward and outward. Genius McGee, mm-hmm. which of the two, the howling or American werewolf in London, is closer to your heart? When I can Finally get a knife seen that checked off my checklist and not only it'd be wonderful, but exceed my expectations. That's a great thing. Mm-hmm. But for heart, I got to go with Werewolf, man. Werewolf in London is such a great movie. The fact that again, and I'm sure I'll find more and more to like with the howling. But the fact that I like already love American mm-hmm. Werewolf and keep finding great stuff about it and more levels and layers and shit I got to go with heart for American Werewolf. I'm also going to go with an American Werewolf in London, but part of the nostalgia comes from my love of the movie Crypt. And they did a few shorts for Fright Fest back in the day called The Road to Fright Fest. Mm-hmm. I think I've showed you a couple of these. Yeah. And they mimicked uh, the beginning of, um, actually, what you didn't see, I think, was you saw the one for The Twilight Zone. But they did a great pitch-perfect recreation of the entirety of an American Werewolf in London where they're walking to Fright Fest, which is kind of perfect. And based on that and the fact that I think I I saw it more often as a kid, it does give my uh, vote for Closer to the Heart. Now, that being said, we're now going to go up to our head mm-hmm. and we're going to look at the bracket topic, which is scary and hairy. Genius McGee, based on the topic, which one is more scary and hairy? I'm going to go with American Werewolf in London because the fact that it looks painful to be a werewolf. Yeah. The fact that you lose all control of being a werewolf, that's scary to me. The fact that I know I can be a werewolf and I have the power of the werewolf and I can transform at will of the werewolf, that's not scary. That's fucking awesome, right? <laughs> I'm down for that. So that is not scary. Picard, I'll give it to Picardo for being scary as shit, right? And for the werewolves, while, well, yeah, you can have some sense of control, mm-hmm. and if they're attacking you, I'm going to be scared either way. But if I'm just driving down, and I hear, bum, 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 and then I start hearing, like, werewolf howls, I'm going to be way more terrified. You know what I'm saying? Because the werewolves and the howling can, can control themselves. Mm-hmm. American werewolf can't. And that's a scarier, a caged animal. So for Harry and scary, the fact that the transformation looks painful, and it's scarier werewolf to me... I got to go with American Werewolf. Excellent work in showing your work. That's what we do here on Into the Mouth of March Madness. <laughs> now, I went a little more abstract in my vote, and my vote goes to the howling. And it's very simple. The fact that the howling is set at a health spa, which, let's face it, they are a pineapple away from the front from being a swingers community. Yeah, they are. And if we're talking scary and hairy, we're talking... Hero suit, my friend. We're talking people that um, the personal grooming was not there. We're talking hair in a non-werewolf variety that is truly scary. <laughs> We're talking people lounging around in the most casual of comfort wear. That is terrifying, and that's why the howling gets my vote. But by a count of three to one, 
An American werewolf in London is uh, pawing its way into the round of the Scream 16. Mm-hmm. I, that, I, I really enjoy the howling, though. I'm no, going to keep I'm glad, it. I'm glad I, you enjoyed that. But the werewolf in London, I mean, it sets up the tropes for a lot of good werewolf stuff. Uh, and it, there's a reason why people keep coming back to yeah. both of them. Yeah. And there's a reason why we're talking about those two and not Wolfen, but go back to the selection episode for mm-hmm. that. Now, one thing that we did establish in the selection episode in the year of 1981 is that there were a number, and I mean a number, and by my number, I mean a plethora of slashers. Yes. We were at the slasher boon in the mid-80s, and there were so many... A lot of them became kind of indistinguishable from each other, but we wanted to make sure we had representation, and at this point, we've got the establishment of two franchises here in 1981. We have now Halloween 2, and we have Friday the 13th Part 2, in a category we are calling Previously On, (laughs) and it's appropriate with both of these two. Now... Which one shall we delve in first there, Genius Halloween or Friday the 13th? Ooh, let's do Halloween. Let's do Halloween. Now, I will say if you are a uh, one of our members of our film family on Patreon, here in the month of October, we released a commentary track for Rick Rosenthal's Halloween 2, mm-hmm. of which we established... It's American Jallo. And it's a pretty damn good sequel. Yes, it is. It is a great sequel, a great... Continu- Bad wig aside, it's a great <laughs> sequel and a good example of previously on because you start off the same night oh and we'll get to that when we defend it here but i will say the original halloween was the winner of our 2018 into the mouth of march madness tournament because i'm the champ but the only way jc was returning as he and deborah hill co-wrote the script mm-hmm. but they retain rick rosenthal retains a lot of the halloween aesthetic and I think a lot of that is the fact that they still had Dean Cundy shooting oh, yeah. Halloween 2. And it shows. Oh, oh you can tell. Because there are some great shots in this. And well, the, the best shot in the film comes about 25 minutes in when Ben Tramer meets his end. Is and that the best shot in the film? I, I think it is because <laughs> <laughs> that poor man, that family has such a lawsuit going on against Haddonfield. Yes. Against Loomis. Like, this is the film where Loomis not only will probably lose his license. He goes balls to the wall <laughs> crazy. Six times! Is. This is where we get six times! You don't know what hell is. <laughs> no, excuse me, you don't know what... Lonnie. Yeah, you don't know what death is. It's so freaking wonderful. And then the shape, as per, uh, portrayed by Dick Warlock, very effective. They've got the same mask. They do up the gore. Mm-hmm. which is a reflection of the times. We are now three years removed from the original Halloween, which established so many things. But he switches it up, his kills in this one. Oh, it's yeah. It's not just with the big butcher's knife, as as most people like to see. But at the same time, he does, uh, he drowns people, he exsanguinates people. What I like in both of these films is they both feature hammer kills. Mm-hmm. Hammer time. So I'd like <laughs> to think somewhere, MC Hammer was like, yeah, you can touch this. <laughs> Can't touch this. Pray. Uh, we have the establishment of hospital horror mm-hmm. in Halloween 2. Which is always fucking scary. Hospital scares, horror is scary as shit. Scares me to this day. Mm-hmm. Go back to our Cobra episode we did this year, which shares a lot of DNA with Halloween 2. We've got Alan Harworth's continuation of the John Carpenter score, where he's enhanced it. Yeah. And it's grown on me, actually. It used to be the score I kind of disliked the most, but it's there's parts of it though that have really grown on me. It's got one of the coolest Halloween openings. Oh yeah. When the yeah. Jack Lantern opens up and reveals a skull, that is so fucking rad. And like any good sequel, it does expand upon the mythos. Whether you like that or not, it's a, it's a lot. It's been throughout yeah. many of the incarnations of the series. Well, and what's kind of crazy is the fact that if you don't like that, then you also okay. still have a timeline. There's, <laughs> there's somewhere else. Bizarro Halloween universe. Oh, yeah. No, it's it's all there for the taking. Um, I genuinely, really, really enjoy this film. It's getting to the point, I'm going to have to watch it again to see when it, when it gets to the point where I love it. It's no Halloween, but it's a worthy follow-up. It's mm-hmm. a worthy successor. And I think more and more people are coming back to it and discovering it. Yeah. Because I think a, part two and three, I think, get lost because I, I know a lot of people started with four. A lot of people obviously started with the original. A lot of people started with Rob Zombies. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. So whether or not they backtrack or reverse engineer, 
Halloween two really gets lost in the mix in the in there, and I do think it is worthy of your attention. It's a great follow up to the first one. Oh, absolutely! It's a fantastic movie. And if you would like to hear our comments on it, head on over to Patreon.com/slash Nightmare Junkhead. <laughs> but uh, final thoughts on Halloween two? I enjoy it. I got a big argument for the heart that I'm ready to go for. Oh no, we'll get but there. It's not a hot take, but it's coming. Well, from the suburbs of Haddonfield to the uh, the rural uh, area of Camp Crystal Lake. We then have Friday the 13th Part 2, directed by Steve Miner, and also, technically, you just have to go back on the main feed. We Mm -hmm. did a commentary track with the Horrorversaries' Adrian Torres. Yes, we did. We love Friday the 13th here on this podcast. In fact, last year's tournament winner was the original Friday the 13th. Jason gets all sorts of love, almost almost as much love as his Jason. So there's like... (laughs) (laughs) He's even got his own dance. Do the Jason... So, yeah, mad love, mad love for Borges. <laughs> Whether he is in mask with a hockey in or space, yes, wherever. We, we do enjoy us some. And for me, the Friday the 13th franchise, I've always said, is the one I enjoy the most because I think it has the most diverse ways to watch it as triple features. There's no wrong way to watch it, Jason. Not at all. In fact, one of my favorites is the uh, Even trilogy in which you watch parts two, four, and six. Mm-hmm. Because I think part four is easily argued as the, I'm going to go back to this ideal again, the platonic ideal of a Friday the 13th film. It's got great kills. It's got the nudity. It's got all the gratuity that you expect. Oh, yeah. But it's got great character actors. It's like I said, I think it's kind of perfect. It's the it, it's the height of the franchise. Part six, I think, is the most fun yeah. because it is a horror comedy. Mm-hmm. But part two, for me, I enjoy it because I think it is the most scary. It is. I think it has some some set pieces in here that to this day still affect me. I think it has one of the best performances by Amy Steele as Ginny. I mm-hmm. think she is one of the best characters in the Friday the 13th franchise. And it also has some just supremely mean kills in this movie. It's got some of the meanest kills in the whole <laughs> fucking franchise. Poor Mark. I know. Poor Mark. I know. Everything was coming up Mark and then all of a sudden everything is going down Mark. And like... You feel so bad for these characters and the fact that, like, some of these characters live, like Ted. I'm glad Ted didn't go, that big gangly dude, and he lived to see the other day. That's what's kind of interesting is the fact that you do have a lot of survivors, technically, that stayed after the party, interestingly enough. See? That's that's how you survive. But there's a a particular moment in this movie that I wanted to talk to you about because I think it could have potentially swayed your vote swayed your viewing but the scene when jenny is hiding underneath the bed and the little mouse is introduced where do you stand with that scene dude that freaked me the fuck out dude i hated that dude i was like it gave me like it gave me the shivers now question i wouldn't piss my pants okay that is fair that is fair that that scene has always kind of disturbed me just because of the fact that it throughout everything that is what made her pee her pants, ultimately. <laughs> it wasn't, you know, the the, the finding of the bodies, the, all the, the carnage, the macabre. No, it was the little... But as someone that is rat-phobic, mouse-phobic, you could probably be at least sympathetic. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, this is the scariest movie, uh, creepy crawlies aside. The fact... I love the potato sack, Jason. He's genuine. He is genuinely scary. This big oaf doofus coming around killing people. There's a shot of him chasing Jenny, and she's in the cabin, and you oh, see and him through the window. Oh, he's coming from the window? That's yes. fucking terror right before he jumps through. But here's my thing with this. I understand it's building the lore and everything, but, like, I'll save that for my previously on. Never mind. No, that's fair. That's fair. Final thoughts on Friday the 13th Part 2 before I, we start defending our work. I thoroughly enjoy it. I think it's a gr- great, one of the great Friday the 13th. Some are hit or miss, but I think you can't miss with number two. I can easily put it, always put it in my top three. Like if someone goes, oh, I want to see something scary, and they're like, uh, how about a Friday the 13th? Those aren't scary. Have you seen Part 2? Mm-hmm. Have it been a minute since mm-hmm. you've seen Part 2? I would definitely give that one a shout out. All right, so genius, let's go ahead and figure out which of the two films, Halloween 2 or Friday the 13th Part 2, will mm-hmm. go into the Scream 16. Let's start. Which of the two are closer to your heart? I got to go Halloween 2. Halloween 2, um, not only the fact that it was my first Halloween movie proper, because like one of my first memories of the Halloween franchise is being really young and like, right, seeing that. 
But the first one I actually saw from beginning to end and like captured my imagination was Halloween 2. I still remember the, it set up the tropes for the uh, filthy paramedics. <laughs> yes. Amazing grace, come sit on my face, right? I still remember that song. <laughs> and like it was great mean kills and a good like scary scenario. I've never really been afraid of Jason except for part two. Mm-hmm. But I... I'm terrified of Halloween 2, and I love it. The fact that Loomis goes nuts six times we get. So many. I get. Ben Tramer, the yep. whole lore of that. Oh, yeah. I got to go with Halloween 2. Well, my vote also is going to go Halloween 2, and it comes down to the power of their respective VHS covers. Both of them were very striking. In fact, I remember part two actually had the knife in hand with mm-hmm. the silhouette on the cover. But part two of Halloween... As the pumpkin with the skull. Mm-hmm. Fucking rad. Terrified me as a kid. Terrified me. I remember being at a friend's house, and he opened up a magazine, and there was an advert for Halloween 2 in that picture, and I, I left the room. I <laughs> left the room because it freaked me out so friggin' bad. See, I was over there. That's cool cutting it out and waiting to put it on, like, like a cool clipboard or turn it into a clock or some shit like that. It, it, it legitimately freaked me out. And based on that, that, that feeling of nostalgia, that feeling of fear... That completely floods the system with, 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 the, with the nostalgia. So I also vote for there. Now, that being said, going back up to the head and logic, the bracket topic is previously, previously on. on. Go ahead and uh, defend it as you will. Okay. Halloween 2. The fact that it's still the same night. Mm-hmm. The fact that it doesn't hold your hand. It, for a little bit, it's like, okay, previously on. Boom, boom, boom. Was that the boogeyman? As a matter of fact, it was. And then that's all you get. And then we're off and running. Here on Friday the 13th, part two, he leaves Crystal Lake to stalk the one part one and to kill her, then goes back to Crystal Lake, not causing any rampage or any mayhem. And then it's like weeks later. So previously on, I got to go Halloween, too, because it's previously on. I will. I'm. I am also going to say Halloween 2 as well because it does connect direct. With Friday the 13th Part 2, there's definitely a continuation, but we've got time in between. Yep. H2, man. I mean, it is, it's the night he came home. Again. The night he's still home. <laughs> he's still home. Right? It's like, it's like is it 11.59? That still counts as the same night, right? We're good. We're good. <laughs> yeah. Technicalities. That's his alarm. Gonna go. Well, by a count of four to zero, it is the night he came to the Scream 16. Beat that ass. Again. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween 2 advances, which leads us to <clears throat> our next slew of slashers. <laughs> we had so many. We realized, though, that we just didn't want to give love to the franchise slashers, which leads us to our next bracket topic. Seldom seen slashers. And we felt that these two, amongst all the ones that were left over in 81 after Halloween 2 and Friday the 13th Part 2, were the most worthy of our consideration, adoration, and definitely uh, some debate here. Yes, and one wasn't on my radar. Well, and that's what's, again, the beauty of the whole tournament here. But we are talking of Madman and My Bloody Valentine. Mm-hmm. Genius, which one shall we talk first? My Bloody Valentine. Uh, let's head north, man. Uh, let's, let's see what this is all about. Uh, we are not going to be Surrey not, at all. Not Surrey in the least. I'm so damn Surrey. Let me just say right off the bat, this movie has rapidly been rising in the ranks of some of my all-time favorite slashers. Mm-hmm. It's got some all-time kills, thanks to the the recently discovered directorial, uh, the director's cut, uh, it's got some of my all-time favorite characters, and it has so much Canadian charm yeah. that it has so much goodwill. There is so much moosehead beer showing up in this movie, and I love the idea and the design of Harry Warden. Mm-hmm. I think he is an underseen, underdeserved uh, horror villain, a slasher icon, and also we're going to talk about it with Madman. But this song feature, this uh, movie features a k- killer closing song. That sums up the movie. How does it go? Oh, the legend they say that on Valentine's Day a curse will live on and on. And no one will know as the years come and go of the horror from a long time ago. It's it's one of my favorites. I love it. it Bravo. 
Oh no, I'm. I, what you're gonna that, see. That's all right with me. <laughs> it is a little AM gold, uh, but I just it, the fact that you get Canadian ben, Benny Hill going on when the guys get out of the showers. Yeah. You've you've got the communal, Canadian grab ass. There is harmonica playing in the junkyard. They are cooking TV dinners on engine blocks in the junkyards. There is so again the Canadian charm of this movie just wins me every single time I see it. And the fact that they did were able to not only uh, imbue the excised footage of the gore into this new direct, uh, the director's cut, mm-hmm. just shows you what a just amazing slasher this movie is. I love how fun and mean this movie it's is. Mean. It's mean as shit. Nobody is safe. Everybody dies very gruesomely. Wonderfully so. There's some genuinely scary set pieces. But like you said, this movie is so charming. The characters you can't help but root for. Gene Shalit says it's great. That dude is wonderful. Howard and Hollis, man. I love those two. They're so goofy and lighthearted. They're the bulk and skull of fucking slasher films. Right? So... The fact that you have that, and Harry Warden is genuinely scary and cool looking. The yeah. fact that you have like the Miter 49er from the old Scooby-Doo's come to life yes. to fuck shit up. It's great. <laughs> There's a kill in there where it's the old man that has been warning them throughout the time. About- the Harbinger? Yes. He's like, I'm going to get these kids and pull a prank on them. The old- he- I saw it coming a mile the way with the old switcheroo, but at the same time, I loved it when it happened. It's what you wanted to see. Well, and the fact that he was just so entertained every time he opened the door. <laughs> and then, <laughs> and that kill when the hook goes up his chin, out the eye, and then he's dragged along. Yeah. So mean, so terrible. The shower impaling when they actually, the showers of blood, that was a great scene. Oh, if you yeah. Get, if somebody gets impaled by something where water or liquid can pour out, it needs to pour out red, and they did it. Uh, stuffing an old lady in a oh. in a dryer a la trauma, you know, wonderful, but done like seriously. Do you remember the reaction when that one screened a tapcade yeah. when the reveal and then it just she kept turning over and over? It's mean and funny, but it's charming and and, and works works perfectly as a uh, Valentine's Day flick uh, in terms of holiday horror. Uh, who's done it? Yes, very much a, a lot Canadian of Jallo. Uh, <laughs> it's chocolate mousse flavored. <laughs> it's like I said. It's for a Paramount film. If I had to choose between that and Friday the Thirteenth Part Two, I'm gonna go. Fri- I'm actually gonna go my Bloody Valentine save for the year for of eighty one. Br- save that for the bracket in case it comes down to it. Oh yeah, you're no no Friday the Thirteenth. Oh, it no was gone. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I can safely say that that's now. Right. <laughs> but no, it is definitely rising up there. I'm glad I was, and it's for the most part was more of a recent discovery. Mm-hmm. I'd say within the last. Probably 10 years. Yeah. I finally stumbled upon it. And like I said, have just grown to love it more and more. Uh, fi- uh, so final thoughts here on My Bloody Valentine. Horror Club shows it on Valentine's Day or as close as we can. I mean, it's a great slasher. Again, it's mean. It's it's violent. It's fun. It's charming. It's lighthearted. But it's dark as shit. And we all need a friend like Hollis. Yeah, we do. I love Hollis. And Not so much Axel. Yeah, well, Axel, even that, even that, like romantic love triangle had credence and plot to it. I mean, like it, and you didn't want to see anybody go. No, and you could see where she was coming from on both. Well, one more than the other, but at the same time, I like at one point she's like, "Both of you, just please stop." At this point, I cannot do it. But um, you're special, ruining the party. Special shout out to Patty, or I'd like, to, as I like to call her, Canadian Jenna Fisher. Mm-hmm. Holy smokes, man! There's just something about her that just strikes the office there but no again love love my bloody valentine so from the cold of canada down to the bonfires of the campfire genius Mm -hmm. and a film that we had a chance to talk on last year's shutter shout out that we did Mm -hmm. and a movie that i think from the get-go immediately entrapped you yeah it did and was like genius this is a movie for you Uh uh-huh on top of all the things of it, what is it that just keeps drawing you back and back again, genius? It's the theme. The theme of it is so fucking rad. It's a great horror theme because it tells you the story. <clears throat> it is a, it's a campfire story. Mm-hmm. You talked about um, the music from My Bloody Valentine, the, the hallad, uh, ballad of Harry Warden, Madman Mars, when it goes, because it, it starts off instrumental, you get parts of it throughout. It's like, like a music version. Dude, dude. 
And then finally, lore of the campfire, telling of the horror, lost in the woods with a madman and the stars. Don't laugh at the tale, heed the call. The legendless beware the, the madman Mars. The legend lives beware the, the madman Mars. and it's fucking rad and from uh, ladies and gentlemen from the day he saw it to the day we're recording now every week i think at at least one time or another i will hear him under his breath singing aloud to a group of people it does not matter whether we are around a campfire or not genius is gonna blast that out it's great because like yeah you don't want to fucking be in the woods with the madman and the stars no matter what you know it and that song is like Firmly implanted along with like Stericulum. Oh, the <laughs> yeah. of the can <laughs> telling of the horror. And like the thing about it is, <laughs> it's not even the only song that's in the movie. Nope. <laughs> Your love is for real. Then why don't you tell? It's got its own AM gold. Let's just talk about that scene because <laughs> it's so fucking weird. There is the weirdest. I'm going to call it like campfire counselor ritual mating right? dance or something that a ritual was going on. Precoitous presentation. The hot tub scene in this movie is not to be missed. It is, <laughs> you have to see it to believe it because it's almost like a Simpsons rake gag. Because they just keep swirling around back and forth making whirlpools and whirlpools and like making eyes at each other it's a music video for that song my love is for real why don't you go and get more comfortable you know that it's for real i mean it's just so ridiculous because meanwhile you have this big lummox and fucking madman marsh is cool looking like some of the silhouettes some of the shots in this movie they're pretty good for being like because like, very low budget very low budget I, i'm hesitant to say c grade but like well they shot it over a period of a year it was a labor of love for yeah. everyone involved madman mars i think much like harry warden is one of those that is on the periphery of really cool slasher icon mm-hmm. he's very distinct He's dirty. I yeah, mean, the shots of his feet his and feet his hands. His feet alone and his hands, he's fucking gnarly, dude. He needs like a pedicure, medic, pe- Manny Petty quick. But what I really like with both of the films is the connective tissue between the two is they are both basically, basically cautionary tales mm-hmm. of what you should not be doing at a particular time. Yeah. And with Madman Mars, all right, shit. Madman Mars, because you, you don't want to say it above a whisper. That is correct. That he, is correct. He's sorry, Madman Mars. Maybe, maybe that will appease Greg's tomfoolery. I'm not Ronnie. Okay, I wanted him to get it from the get-go. <laughs> he's real. Yeah, he did. And see, that's the thing. First of all, this falls in the squarely in the camp of where there's kids involved. Very rare. And in and peril. Ca- yes. Uh, we saw that in Friday the 13th Part 6 in Sleepaway Camp, mm-hmm. and this one joins that yeah. lovely, very, very select company for the most part, especially what we've talked about here in the tournament itself couple of the kills here in this movie, I think, are some all-timers. There are some great mean kills. The truck. The truck. The truck scene is wonderful. And it's really funny because as this came out in the year of 1981, mm-hmm. so did a little Thanksgiving slasher film called Home Sweet Home, which features a the same kill, basically. So I don't know what was in the air in 1981. Well, that's, another, that's one thing I've, I've noticed in tropes of horror films. You'll see somebody like, oh, my car broke down, and they're looking in the car, and they fix it, and then they come out, and they slam the car, and then they go on their adventures. If I was a fucking killer, yeah, I would totally pull a madman Mars and just slam and just slam, just be done with it. Just on to more killing. Yes, and a pretty wide variety for the most part. Um, it's... It sets up its own lore with the first of all the campfire story at the mm-hmm. beginning and the and the whole like uh, the Paul Bunyan King Arthur MacGuffin right in the middle of the stump <laughs> yes, right which that always is a good but it also follows its own rules too I think it's it's a very good precursor to Hatchet yes yeah no there's definitely a lot of groundwork that is laid throughout yeah. this I mean at the beginning there's even lore of the campfire 
in the middle <laughs> and at the end. Yeah. You had to wait to get to the ballad of Harry Warden <laughs> with My Bloody Valentine. Not with Madman Mars. He comes up the gate swinging. You just have to hit play on that one. So as much as we adored both of these, only one can advance to the round of the Scream 16. So let me ask you, Genius McGee, which of the two is closer to your heart? I got to go with My Bloody. It's such a good movie. It's it's funny again it's mean it's well crafted it's a more not cohesive story because the premise of madman is pretty fucking simple but it adds a lot more lore in the fact that like he's not a supernatural killer mm-hmm. spoilers you know it adds a little bit more charm a little bit more mystique to it yeah as opposed to like madman mars just being madman mars a little meat on the bone that you can chew off yeah <laughs> even though madman mars is a hulking in Impressive figure. I still wouldn't fuck with it. Absolutely. And I am also going to go with uh, My Bloody Valentine for Closer to the Heart, only because of the fact that we were able to host that Valentine's Day screening, which did feature the director's uh, cut, which was awesome and amazing to see with so many people. So that one for me, hands down. Now, that being said, from the heart to the head, the bracket topic is seldom seen slashers. So, genius, which of the two gets your vote? I'm going to go Madman for seldom seen slashers because I think My Bloody Valentine has more of a popularity, more of a resurgence. I still don't think, I mean, the fact that it's even got a fucking remake mm-hmm. done in 3D. Very true. Nobody's done a remake or a continuation of Mad Mad Mars, which I think is a sham and a travesty. I think <laughs> that Lumix deserves his own like shot at the big leagues, you know? So. Even in when you're talking about slashers, yeah, if you're doing slashers 201, then you're going to be doing My Bloody Valentine. But it's not until advanced slashers are going to be talking about Madman. I, so for seldom seen slashers, I got to go Madman. So I took kind of a similar approach as both of these have very nice additions on Blu-ray. But what I decided to do was rank, not, I don't want to say rank or judge, but... Um, My Bloody Valentine was released by Scream Factory Mm -hmm. Blu-ray. Madman was released by Arrow. Now, a lot of people out there say Scream Factory is the criterion of horror. And if that is the case, again, some people, some people. (laughs) But I think with Scream Factory, with the movies they put out, uh, they have more of a public appeal. They are probably more Mm well-known than a lot of the stuff that Arrow puts out. Yeah. And because of that, the fact that Madman is released on Arrow versus My Bloody on Scream Factory, I think I'm my vote goes with Madman. Ooh, lore of the campfire, telling of the rarity. What do we do when we have ourselves a tie? We go to the cover of a certain magazine. We go to the cover of our Fangoria. <laughs> we go to the cover of our Fangoria. And as it turns out, only one of the two films appeared on the cover of Fangoria. My Bloody Valentine. That is correct. And with that, My Bloody Valentine is going to the round of the Scream 16. Man, man, put up a fight. Yeah, he did. It was well. It was, and again, any other day. Yeah. Madman Mars could be going forward, but it is Harry Warden, which leads us to our last bracket topic and our last battle here in the year of 1981. Mm-hmm. We have often talked of trying to find ways to get normies into horror we are kids into horror and we always say these are gateway films mm-hmm. and our last bracket topic here is gateway horror yes but not necessarily what you're thinking <laughs> however if you were to introduce a normie or a kid to any of these two films you're going to get locked up yeah because we have <laughs> or you're not going to be allowed to pick movies ever again Ex- yeah you're not going to go back to that party we have lucio fulci's the beyond mm-hmm. and sam raimi's the evil dead mm-hmm. which of these two do we try to open up first join us oh oh the evil dead oh bruce campbell let's get groovy let's get groovy i backtracked my way into the original evil dead me too i started with the sequel mm-hmm. and I was at Scott Finley's basement when I saw the original Evil Dead. I could tell you, I could take you to that exact place because it wasn't what I expected. 
I was expecting the slapstick, yep. the tomfoolery, and the laughs. <laughs> nope. None of that's in here. Oh, no. I didn't None get any of that. of that. Instead, you get trees. You get no, no, like, you know what I terrible got? shit. I got looks from my friends going, what the hell is this, Greg? You just said this is going to be a fun tomfoolery slapstick kind of film, and I thought it would be. I didn't know how much they changed from the first to the second. I didn't realize that the second is technically very much like a remake mm-hmm. of the first. But oh my goodness, even rewatching it last year, it still packs a punch. Yeah. This movie is genuinely scary. It's terrifying. This movie is genuinely terrifying. I mean, like, and it's so weird, again, because I backtracked too. I'm waiting for Bruce Campbell to become the hero and, like, do three stooges shit in yes. the kitchen, right? But instead, we get some dark, dark shit and some heavy subjects things. And, like, the whole, uh, do I kill him? Do I not? Do I save? Do I not? Nash is not even really the hero halfway of the movie. He really isn't. In fact, there are times when you have, there's Shelly, Cheryl, Scott, Linda, and Ash. And obviously all taken out one by one. The mean. An- the ankle stab yes. is an all-timer for me. Ooh seeing that with a crowd and seeing people react the way they do because it is still painful when what's her bucket is going we're gonna get you so scary yeah it is uh, the gore in here is over the top um then when you find out the story that went on behind making of the film that it did take a long ass time that it was a labor of love um the stop motion at the end is mm-hmm. one of my favorites uh, the ending itself being so bleak. This is another movie that is mean. That it's it's just it's and that's what we saw a lot here in the early '80s. It's some mean movies. And I think we take for granted some of the uh, visual trickery and some of the techniques that Sam Raimi actually. Oh yeah. Brought out with the whole camera and, the, and some of that, while played more over the top in part two. This is done for a scary effect. And it's it's truly terrifying. Yes, it is. You establish a lot of the Raimi aesthetic including technically the inclusion of Ted Raimi when you can with mm-hmm. a fake shemp, um, but also his his direction. And you see it in Darkman, in Spider-Man, and almost all of his films. When's the last time you watched uh, A Perfect Plan? I haven't seen that in a long time. I need to revisit it because I know he goes a little bit more Coen Brothers with that one, mm-hmm. but I need to revisit to see if it's my favorite Raimi. But simple I, Plan? A Simple Plan. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a plan was involved. There was a plan. Well, I saw Darkman for the first time this year. Isn't it fucking great? Revelatory. And it's so funny because I, I always forget that it was just three years before he made Evil Dead 2. And you can see the t- connective tissues. So when you go backwards from Darkman to Evil Dead 2 to the Evil Dead. Because Darkman is dark. is Well, because it's dark. <laughs> but it also has some of that slapsticky and shit. Like, oh, the, very much. The so. elephant, the pink one, right? The, the leg gun. Yeah. But still, it handles it in a comic booky but yet kind of fucked up way yeah this is basically i think him establishing a foundation of which he could get fancy upon Mm -hmm. but here we see everything established and here we are in 2020 only a few years removed from you know ash versus the evil dead you know army of darkness in the continuation of that franchise of the series of the characters from a mean little independent movie from 1981 yeah it's kind of crazy so, a revolutionary yeah. little independent movie from 1981. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That uh, that established so many different things. But going then from a cabin in the woods or another thought. <laughs> uh, yeah. No, from going from a first timer to someone who is already well established. Oh, yes. Uh, Lucio Fulci at this point has created some of the most memorable moments in horror, in giallo, in, in cinema. He's Italian, of course. He's Italian. <laughs> no, the old boy. Oh, we love boy. the pop of the eyes. <laughs> no, this is uh, the Beyond, also known as the Seven Doors to Hell. Hell. Mm-hmm. A movie that, because it is international, it definitely took me a while to get to. And had I seen it at a young age, I would have probably not known what the hell. I should rephrase that. Seeing it now at 44, I still don't know what the hell is going on. <laughs> but I've learned to embrace the weirdness of no narrative or, a, 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 you know, a very loose, loose narrative. And then in just embracing the style mm-hmm. of what he does. And I will say, as having seen now the Gates of Hell trilogy, mm-hmm. because I saw this year also for the first time, uh, City of the Living Dead mm-hmm. and House, House by, by the, the Cemetery. C- yes. Yeah. 
I love to see how these three movies all work together. But I will say, I think this one is probably my favorite only based on the score itself. <laughs> the Fabio Fritzi score of this one is, it's an all-timer. It hits so many melancholy moods, but then it also gets you dun, 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 Some insanity. Complete insanity that, and this movie also contains one of my favorite endings, when they're in the void. In the void, literally. And that's they've where got the, void the glassy got eyes, mm-hmm. yes. And that terrifies me because they're in hell. Mm-hmm. And we've had elements of hell throughout. This has the weird spider scene. This has the face melting. Yep. This has uh, the eyeball gouging, when the, the hand out of the... It's just so many... It's almost like a Fulci's greatest hits it's like a mixtape. It is. It's a mixtape of everything you want with a Fulci movie. It's got the it's got three great eye gouging yes. scenes <laughs> or dealing with eye trauma, right? It's got the animal abuse and oh. by abuse as in they're the ones abusing the humans. It's got two scenes of those. Yes, it does. This is like Fritzy or Fritzy the, the, uh, to the Fulci to the max. Yeah. And you add the wonderful cat hole score of Fabio Fritzy. <laughs> wait till we defend it i'll get to that one but once again i grew to appreciate jallos so much more so significantly over the years i mean i remember seeing this for the first time uh at the nascent days of the alamo mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. and seeing it on the big screen i was like this movie is madness and just digging it and just enjoying it and how there's so many different elements that come into play. You want zombies, you got them, right? Yep. If you want supernatural shenanigans, you got it, right? If you want religious space with stigmata and, and demon possession, boom, you got it. You want just mindless slasher, poof, you got it. Shenanigans in Shenanigan- uh, New Orleans? Exactly. The only thing they were missing is eating pool boy sandwiches. Just like Deliciously and over and over again. I would like to see Fulci shoot some food. It could be interesting or it could be absolutely disgusting. And some of the shots, as weird as they are, are strangely oh. and bizarrely beautiful. For example, the shots of hell and themselves. Yes. Um, when she's standing on the bridge when we first <gasps> meet the psychic for the yes. first time. That's a gorgeous shot. Yes. It's a gorgeous shot. Now, there is a lot to love with this movie, but I can also understand why you would lose a lot of people. Because, again, it loses people in translation. Yeah. There is that weird dream logic and the narrative that while there is a coherent plot, yes, it's, there is. you have to follow along to really get it it's not gonna hold your hand no it's, it's gonna not. poke you in your eye mm-hmm. <laughs> twice or melt your face yes. like i felt so bad for that poor girl in pigtails like first of all her dad gets impaled and his face fucking sewn and melted off then when the mom goes to see she drops acid on her on herself and not, melts. Not the kind of dropping acid you're thinking of. No, there's no Dennis Leary going involved. There's no <laughs> Dennis Timothy, o- Le- Timothy it's, O'Leary. It's, it's more Dennis Leary than Timothy Leary, right? I'm an Italian asshole, yo. <laughs> and then next thing you know, she gets possessed by demons herself. You and know, then gets so, her gets her face blown off at the end. Gnarly, 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 gnarly. This is a great movie. It is gory. The body count is high. Oh yeah. Just don't. It doesn't make it itself any sense no. at all it's going to leave you scratching your head now as much as we love both of these films only one can advance into the next round so genius mcgee between the beyond and the evil dead which of the two is closer to your heart closer to the heart i gotta go with the evil dead i gotta go with the evil dead not only did it spawn um a great franchise but it's just it's still a scary movie it still holds up it's terrifying um the music again is is, is it's got a little bit of that rectus dominus mm-hmm. where you know some ill shit's going down oh yeah um again and i remember just seeing it and being terrified yep. and so even to this day when i rewatched it a little bit ago i was still terrified so i gotta go with evil dead on that one although i got mad love for the beyond just ah, I can't say a good enough good things about it. I think that would never. I'm gonna save that. I'm gonna save that. Well, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Now, I am actually gonna go with the Beyond when it comes to nostalgia, and I admitted it that it it took me a while to get to the Beyond, and I became to the Evil Dead franchise way before there. However, the screening of the Beyond with Fabio Fritzi there performing the score, that is something I will never forget. That is something that is totally in my mind, in my body, 
and specifically the fact that Fabio Fritzi may never come back here to Kansas City. Because of said cat hole? Because of said cat hole. I don't know when we told that story on the podcast, but can you give him a pretty brevity thing here? Yes, very quickly. Um, <laughs> my cat, Owen, had a bot fly, and I took pictures of it. The botfly hole. If you don't know what a botfly is, it's a fly that legs eggs in your skin and comes out. It's pretty gnarly. It is. Um, had a botfly, and I took pictures of it for the vet. Fabio Fritzi comes to town the next day, and he wants to take pictures with everybody in the audience because he's awesome like that. And so I sat there. Um, Brent, who was helping me take the picture, pushed the wrong button on my uh, phone, and it went to the previous picture. What was this up-close shot of this pink hole covered around by fur in a dark center? And he goes, oh, my God. Oh, what's that? Oh. And I go, oh, no, no, I'm sorry. And I'm freaking out because it's Fabio Fritz. And he just saw this terrible picture. And I'm like, no, 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 that's my hairy cat hole. Oh, no, no, no. And he goes, oh, oh okay, take, take the picture. I, I got to go backstage. And I'm like, oh, shit. Fabio Fritzy thinks I'm a freak. So <laughs> that's the cat hole. And that's nostalgia, my friend. Yes. So that one is closer to my heart. Now, that being said, if we're thinking with our head and we're looking at the bracket topic that is gateway horror, genius, which of the two is better gateway horror? See, this is the this is the one I'm really debating on because on the one hand, on the one hand, you have a great entry point into the world of Sam Raimi and all of that good stuff. So that's the one gateway. But also you have a great entry point in the world of Jello. Mm -hmm. You have the great entry point on the way of, of Fritzy and um, Fulci. And that can lead you to Argento. And that can lead you to fucking different types of Jello. Lead you to Amsterdam. And the fact that you're dealing with seven doors to hell. That's a gateway right there. So I'm going to go with the beyond i mean and i can make an argument with both but right now i my, my gut is telling me the beyond i am gonna go more literal when it comes to my gateway horror as both of them do provide a gateway to another realm however in the evil dead the gate only goes one way they only came one way and that's to our world and the beyond they come to our world but we go into there based on that the strength of that gateway for mm -hmm. me i'm going with the beyond and by a count of three to one, going and gatewaying Holy into the round shit. of the screen 16, we have the beyond, which means in our next round, we have an American werewolf in London going up against Halloween 2, mm -hmm. and we have my bloody Valentine going up against the beyond. Oh my, that is, that is a good little matchup there. Lore of the cat hole beating evil dead. We're gonna get hate comments in the thread. Don't laugh at our opinion. We showed our work. Beware the cat hole. I don't know what rhymes with that. Yeah, you should have just gone, I don't know what rhymes with work. Right. Well said, my friend. And here on Friday, we're going to have two other podcast folks coming in and help us whittle down to see which one goes to the round of the Frightful Four, representing the year of 1981. Now, I'm not going to say who it is because we have them locked in, but we haven't recorded yet. So, right. And we are recording months in advance here. So yes. Things can happen, but hopefully they will all be mad things. So until next, this Friday here, this is Greg D. And I'm Genius McGee. And we'll see you in your dreams. <laughs>